0: Good morning. This is Heather Stark, and I am and here. We go. There's our music bed, and I'm with uh, Karen, Dr. Karen Hopper, and we are doing uh, Three Women, Three Ways today. The show is interesting one for me uh, because we are talking with karen about a new program she has started but it's an old need what's exciting about this is that it's not an approach that we often talk about so welcome uh karen it's okay if i call you karen
1: oh absolutely
0: okay, okay terrific I am so excited about this program. I guess we should talk a little bit more about your background. Can you tell us briefly how you come to this point? Uh, you've got a diverse background, and you've worked very, very hard in the field of domestic violence and gendered violence. Um, what, what's your background, Karen? I,
1: I began to see when I had a private practice in marriage and family therapy, and that was a long time ago, Uh, I began to notice that people that were involved in litigation were not responding to treatment the same as those that were not in litigation. I began to look at what are the factors here. How can it be that if someone is involved in litigation, it's a variable in treatment as to whether they get better and stay better or not. We would just make a lot of progress Um, They would have traumatic stress of one kind or another and injury, not a mental illness. And pretty soon they would be back with symptoms again. But it's because of the re-traumatization. Then I got to the bottom of how that's happening. What's happening in our courts? Is it just in Nevada where I had my practice or is it all over well, that was the late 80s. I began to do peer review and put articles out and ask my peers, are you seeing the same thing I'm seeing? And sure enough, all around the nation I was getting response. So it became clear to me that certain factors that were bringing people to court were critical in them having a stress injury and, and their ability to get over it or get worse from it. So then domestic violence began to show as a major factor because those cases would drag on for years and they would be absolutely consumptive. It would take all the money, all the energy, all of everything out of the family. Then I began to look and it was coercive control. It was one person in the relationship, usually the man but sometimes the woman, deciding that they were going to control the other, dominate the other, uh, relegate the other to being almost a political prisoner, and they lost their civil rights. Children were being punished because they didn't comply with coercion. And then I realized that coercive control is an issue where The controller only feels love if everybody is complying. The minute you want independence and you argue and you want your own opinion, they're entitled to punish you. So it grew and it grew, and I began to do the first writing, uh, uh, which identified legal abuse and legal abuse syndrome, where the power of the court could be used as a weapon against somebody or as a tool for taking something that, without proper due process. So I began to study how all of that worked. It all wound up where we are today, that when a person has an injury, federal law clearly says they have to have accommodations. If they're going into a court of law or into a job or into a school or any place, They have to have accommodations. And today, the cycle that I find that I address more often than not is you wind up in court, your opposition says, well, she's crazy. She's just Mm -hmm. crazy. She does this and that and that. And then my client will say to their lawyer, oh, my God, what am I going to do about this? Well, we'll have a psychological evaluation and we'll prove you're not crazy. That is faulty. That's the wrong way to go. And then all of a sudden your psyche is out being argued about in the courtroom. You are federally protected against that. So what we've had to do. How?
0: Because this happens so frequently. Um, You know, I mean, I don't think I've ever met uh, a a situation with domestic violence or, or coercive control where the victim isn't Attacked and 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 uh, accused of being crazy. I mean, that's like a go-to position for an abuser. She's crazy, Um, and and instead of just saying, "Well, you know," I mean, let's see who's who's saying this. Immediately, it becomes all about her, and she has to prove that she's not crazy. Well, how do you prove you're not crazy? You know,
1: you can. You simply can't. So that places you in an eternal. Losing defensive posture. Yeah. And what we have to make clear, number one, one of the things I'm trying to do is make clear to the courts and the public that crazy is the C word. It has no legal or medical value. It's used only to discredit somebody. It should not be allowed. There's an N word. We need the C word, too. It must not be used in a court of law or any place else. Now, The big deal is that nobody has been properly trained in is that the Americans with Disabilities Act, amendments act that passed in 2008 but went into effect in 2009, clearly says if anyone has an impairment, including an injury caused by the situation, they must be accommodated confidentially. So that means other than what is just out there and visible, uh, if a person is stressed, and most of the people I work with have been stressed to the point of PTSD or a related kind of stress disorder or depressive disorder,
2: all of that
1: qualifies them under this law.
0: We were talking, uh, uh, PTSD is just rampant among uh, victims of this kind of behavior. And we were talking right before we went on the air, and there is, uh, and I'm going to butcher these names, but the citation that I have is Zawisk and Dabkowska. Uh, And this is from 2010, did a study, found that 75.6% of female victims of of, uh, domestic violence, uh, intimate partner violence, had, and this is a quote, significant, very significant, or extreme occurrence of PTSD.
1: And I think that's conservative because yeah, what I happens it is the formula to get PTSD is to feel helpless in the face of jeopardy. And so first they feel helpless in the relationship that is abusing them. Mm -hmm. Then they say, okay, I've had it. Um, I had one client beaten up for 18 years, sick of it. Finally, husband strangles her in front of their teenage son. That did it. She went for protection to the court and to let her kids know this is not how it's supposed to be. Goes to the court, coercive controller, gets himself lawyers, comes in against her, uh, court turns against her, all of a sudden, wait a minute, we've got helplessness in the face of jeopardy compounded by the court joining with the abuser through the adversarial process, through the way that, uh, that our system works. And the lawyers well, you know, go to Karen, work. you know,
0: Karen, I had a, a family court judge on my show, uh, oh gosh, uh, time goes so quickly, it could have been a year ago, maybe a year and a half ago, Um, and she was recommended to me as somebody who really gets it, who really understands domestic violence. She should be on the show. And so I called her. She consented to be on the show. While we were talking, I was absolutely shocked because I asked her, what goes through the mind of a judge when you have two people in front of you, one has documented history of domestic violence, the other one does not, and yet it's the one with the history of domestic violence who gets custody of the children. Please tell me the thinking of a judge when that happens. Her response to "Wonderful was you have question. to understand you have two people in front of you. One has it all together, and he's in charge, and he's in control, and then she is just a mess. She can't even control her own life, let alone that of her kids. So, of course, they were going to give the kids to the guy who has it in, who's, who's got it all together.
1: Right. He's commandeered the finances. He has the best legal team. She's trying yep. to deal with soccer practice, getting the kids to school. Uh, no money. And, uh, yeah. That's right. <laughs> no support. That's right. And she's injured. And then they're accusing her of a mental illness. And yep. it's not. It's an injury. Now, the other part, it doesn't matter. And this is what uh, this is the role of the advocate. This is why John Jay is training advocates, because something has to be done about this. People have called the courts corrupt. They have sued for racketeering. They mostly die of attrition. They just fade out of the court because they can't keep going.
0: Yeah, it costs money.
1: Yes, but what works is to have a person who understands all this who is trained and certified who comes into the court and makes clear to the court what has to happen now we do that in several ways but when the person is disheveled this you can trace back neurologically and physiologically right into the limbic system through broca's area in the brain they have problems with expressive speech it all fits a pattern, and it shows that the person is injured. But we don't come into court and show the court that. This is a confidential issue. This woman that was beat up for 18 years froze when she got in court. She dissociated. So the adversarial system just battered her around, and she was unable to protect herself. What she needed was an advocate, and she finally got us. But we came in very late. We wish we had been there earlier. But what we do is immediately look at the situation. If they have a lawyer, then we prepare them to meet with the lawyer because if they just jump into meeting with a lawyer, they take too much information and while they're paying $350 an hour for the lawyer just to sort out what are the legal issues versus the political posi- or the personal positions, um, you are going broke. Yes. So we have to do it very very carefully and very judiciously, and we help sort out the legal issues to take to the lawyer and to emphasize with the lawyer. Then we okay. work with well, them on... Well, let me jump on... in
0: here, Karen, because my experience sure. is that lawyer, most lawyers don't get this. They don't understand the whole uh, uh, coercive control thing. They don't understand the whole idea of what this woman's going on, uh, going through. So how can they work effectively for this woman and help her when they don't get it themselves. So
1: many see, of them re- can't.
0: How receptive are they to the idea of an
1: advocate?
0: How how successful has this been?
1: Very, partly because they have no choice. You have the right to the advocate just like you do the wheelchair ramp. The elevator, the wheelchair ramp, the Uh, the uh, system for hard of hearing in the courtroom, all those are accommodations. So are the accommodations. We talk about the number one being a certified ADA advocate person. So once you choose that person and you invoke that right, everyone has to live with it because there's a new sheriff in town, and that's called federal law. That supersede state and local laws and rules, etc. Now they've not been trained in it, so the first thing they want to do is just do what they're used to doing. So they'll say, "We don't want to bring that in." Oh my God! If you tell the judge you've got an injury, you'll never get custody of your kids. Oh, you really need the certified advocate then, that can make very clear to that lawyer. Absolutely not. You cannot, a judge cannot find custody based upon uh, your health, your mental illness, your mental injury, any of that, only behaviors. I have clients with schizophrenia that are wonderful parents. They go to their doctor, they take their meds, they're wonderful parents, they take the kids to soccer, everything's fine. But if you go to the old fashioned psych eval and come out with schizophrenia, oh my God, that parent could never have that kid. Wait a minute. What about the parent's behavior? And that's what we have to look at. Now, we educate judges and lawyers continually because we provide them the laws. We're very respectful. We let them know, but we insist upon the the avenue that protects the confidentiality of the client. The only thing that will be out in open court is you do have an accommodation if it's a visible one. Other than that, the other side has no business knowing anything about it, getting your medical records, nothing, unless you've accused them of causing it and you're suing them for damages. Then they can challenge it. Other than that, it's not their business. So this okay, requires let's education. let back up here
0: because I, I want to make sure everybody understands this. First of all, we're talking about those women who have gone through this kind of trauma may, and, and based on some of the studies I've seen, probably frequently, qualify as having an ADA, an Americans for Disabilities Act, qualified disability. Yes. PTSD chronic anxiety, or
1: acute anxiety, and chronic depression.
0: Uh, As I recall, it's been a couple years since I've looked at
2: those ADA rules. Almost
1: any disability, if you have symptoms that interfere with your executive functionality, qualifies. Anything that interferes with communication, all the way through federal court, and for years federal court said we don't have to comply. Yes, they do. If anything interferes with communication, you must be accommodated. So it's okay. broad. Congress how gave does, us broad okay, range. okay.
0: All right. So a woman suspects she has this. Um, how does she uh, – does there have to be a certification? Does there have to be a diagnosis? Does there have to be di- documentation? How does a woman get on this track?
1: Okay. The first thing we need to do – is go to uh, the ADA access coordinator of the court. That is in court administration. Again, very often they are not trained. The law came down unfunded, so they didn't get properly trained. So unless you have an advocate, and that's why John Jay stepping up and we are stepping up to certify advocates who can be there to do this with and for the person. It's an added burden to a person with a disability to have to go qualify for certain accommodations. So it's unfair and they're supposed to have paid for them the advocate. We will work on that down the road because the law says that the court pays. Truth of the matter is coming through unfunded and everything, we haven't taken on that war yet. So the people pay privately however they can. But We go to court administration. When I get a client, I meet with them. We do what I call a functional assessment. What the court needs to know is what helps you function in that court. They don't need to know how does your brain work. They need to know can you sit long periods, can you use the restroom normally, Uh, do you need a safe place to appear from. If you are in court pro se against a person that's beat you up for 18 years and he's pro se, you're going to be on that witness stand being questioned by him unless we say, oh, no, no, no court. That is not fair. That triggers her symptoms. That causes her to be unable to function in that courtroom. Therefore, she must appear by a separate room, sequestered through a video or at home, uh, distance. I appear long distance with people on the phone all the time in court. And it, it works better than I ever thought it could. But we protect that person. That person gets in there, and that uh, coercive, controlling, domestic violence kind of person, one look out of their eyes can oh, be yeah. the look. You're going to get it. It's a whole secret language, and she can say, I can't function with him looking at me that way. And the judge will say, he didn't look like anything to me. He looked all right to yeah, me. exactly,
0: exactly. And the there, other well, thing, there, there it is. She's crazy.
1: That's right. And the other thing is, uh, this is, I said this in Greece, I never again want to hear out of a judge's mouth, you don't look disabled to me. Don't even start there. And, yes, when I meet with a client, I check, I get one diagnosis, um, usually from somebody I don't know, licensed in their state. And then with that diagnosis, we do the functional assessment. We go to court administration. We say what they're going to need. They need to appear by distance. They're going to need to take breaks when they begin to get anxious. They have to have a... um, Court sometimes in the morning or the afternoon. Uh, they can only meet maximum two, three hours, whatever it is they need. We had one woman that needed a zero-gravity chair. Uh, so it, the law says use your imagination, but accommodate the people. So we do. And it, the key, though, is that person. I can tell you the difference, and I've done this now for enough years to know, the key is having the certified person that can't be bluffed, that stands by your side and sees you through. And that's well, what Karen, we're I just at love,
0: I love this idea. To me, this idea is—it would be such a lifesaver in so many situations. I want to know more about it. We do have a caller, so if you don't mind, let's go to a caller. And if you would like to call in, the number is 646-378-0430. That's 646-378-0430. Caller, are you with us? Hello, caller, are you there? Oh, darn. Okay. Um, I, we're not getting the caller to come through. So, caller, try calling back on another line, Okay. Meanwhile, Karen, I want to make sure that um, we. Karen, are you with me? Yes. Okay, good, good, because I'm getting some feedback on this line. Um, who determines whether or not the person, the victim qualifies under the Americans for Disabilities Act?
2: Uh, that's a good question. To... Okay.
1: In, in some states, some courts, they have their own form. And you fill out the form, tell them what you need, and then the ADA access coordinator confidentially is supposed to make that decision. Now, I want to be sure. Oh, okay, so,
0: so the, the court coordinator makes the decision of whether or not that person qualifies as, uh, as disabled.
1: Yes, not the judge. Now, some judges will. What
0: happens if the court coordinator is not well educated and just decides no?
1: This happens, well, reasonably frequently. But at that time, that's why you have the certified advocate. And the advocate then presents, I present a request for accommodations with their form and my report attached. And in my report, I give them the laws, I give them how it works everything they need, because I know they probably haven't been educated. And very often we have to work it through with them. I've been in court where, and I want you to have the picture of the certified advocate. You go in the courtroom if you're going to attend with your client. You pass the bar. You sit at the counsel's table right next to your client. You cannot be removed any more than a service dog or a wheelchair can be removed from somebody. You are now an appendage of that person, and you must be with them. You have to see if they're breathing, if they have water, if they're starting to cry, if they're getting symptomatic. You watch time for them. Sometimes they need meds, whatever. So you are with them. If you're on the phone, then you're on a conference call. You can take a break and talk with them. I've had judges in the courtroom that don't know this, that will call a recess and go back and tell their clerks, look it up, and then they come back, and they have to comply. This is not discretionary. This is a mandate. So the judge can't say, occasionally they'll violate and do that, but they're in violation if they do. But the judge cannot determine whether or not you can have an accommodation. If they do... There is case law that shows they lose their immunity for that. They're not to make these decisions. But what does that mean, they lose decisions. their immunity? That means that you can sue them personally, and you can sue the state. It abrogates the 11th Amendment for them to involve themselves. They don't decide where the wheelchair ramp goes or if you can use it or not. Same thing if there's something in that courtroom that we ask for that the judge is not happy with, then we're always willing to discuss it and try and substitute and make everyone happy. I had a federal judge in uh, in Palm Beach, Florida, that did not want me videotaping, and I, I felt like the woman needed videotape. And uh, he said, what else would make you comfortable? And I said, well, biofeedback. And I figured he'd never allow that. But I got it. So we were able to monitor her her physiology and her functions all the while that the court was going on. So you just have to say, Your Honor, we have to work this out somehow because she obviously has to be accommodated. I had um, uh, one therapist in a reunification therapy situation that did not want the children's service dog with them. And so when I was on the witness stand, I was an expert witness in this case, and they began to try and get me to say this wasn't really a service dog because the dog barked. And I said, no, service dogs bark. Sometimes they're trained to bark. Uh, They bark, they poop, they do everything that all dogs do, and they're trained to do various things. But you're asking the wrong question, and, Your Honor, if I might, the question here isn't is this really a service dog. The question is how do you provide what the service dog provides if you don't allow the service dog in. You have to tell me how you're going to provide that same service. Once that's done, we're good. We can substitute. We just don't know what you can provide that you know would make up for the service dog. So we have to stand by their side. By now the person is so beat up, and the court begins to beat them up more because they come in, like you said, looking disheveled, They left their papers on the kitchen counter. They were in a hurry, getting the kids to school. Um, And so the court gets impatient. Then they're symptomatic. They're having trouble expressing themselves. They don't remember exactly what the court says. So we say, Your Honor, oh, and then the other side acts like a used car salesman. They start, well, she's crazy, she's late picking up the kids, she this and that. And we stop it all. Now we say, Your Honor, we have to slow this down please ask opposing counsel to slow speech down so that my client can take notes. And, you know, when they're running one on you and they're trying to beat you up, it's really hard to do it slowly. So if you just slow the pace of the court down, it can help a lot. And, again, if they can appear from a separate room, then that takes all that body language, all that intimidation away. Um, There are so many underlying things that go on that can damage a person. If you don't have the live certified advocate there, it just falls through the cracks and your case goes, you know, they say, well, I think I can handle it, but they really can't because that advocate is saying, wait a minute, you're tearing up, you're not breathing, Your Honor, we need a break. And then I train them in eight steps to help on the spot to relieve the stress and to keep them functioning so they don't lose by attrition.
0: We have our caller again. I, we have a couple of callers, okay. so let's hope this works now. You know, I, I always make such a joke, Karen, that nobody ever listens to my show because of the technology, technological expertise that I have, so bear <laughs> with me. Um, caller, are you there? Caller, are you there?
2: Heather, I'm here. I don't know if you're trying to reach me or somebody else. Yep,
0: that's it. Uh, Caller, uh, where are you from, and what's your first name?
2: Um, This is Marilee, Heather, Marilee McLean from Denver, Colorado.
0: Marilee, and thank
2: you for joining
0: us. Marilee has been on our show before, and she's quite, a, I don't know if you know her, Karen, but she's quite no. a, quite knowledgeable about uh, the situation with family
1: courts. What's your oh, question, Oh, hello, Marilee. Hi, Karen. Yes, I've heard of you, too.
2: Um, Yeah, this is great. Um, Great information you're getting out there. And um, in Denver, we're just starting a new program called Mom's Fight Back. um, And it's a great program where we will have advocates in in, in with these women, not just advocates from the court, but outside advocates to understand what's going on in the courts and how it's breaking down. So, Pretty interesting, and your information is really helping Um, to slow the courtroom down. And what you're saying is just what needs to happen. Uh, These they just are running over these women like crazy. Oh, yeah. Uh,
0: You know, for me, I sit there and I think you're going into court. You are terrified because first of all, you have your experience is that this man wins, no matter what, no matter what it takes no matter who gets hurt. So that's your base when you go into court. You are terrified because this is his mission in life, to win, whether he's going after your children or whether he's going after you. He wants to win more than any normal person wants to win. So you're terrified to start with. If he's going after your children, you have even terror la- layered onto that terror, and you are absolutely at a loss. You're, you're Strung out in that world, you're embarking on something that is absolutely the most frightening thing that you will ever encounter in your life, and then you're supposed to go into a court and appear to be calm, cool, and collected. But of course, if you appear to be calm, cool, and collected, then you're some sort of ice queen and there's something wrong with you then. So who, what woman wouldn't be terrified? What woman wouldn't exhibit uh, all of the things that, that the judges attribute to being crazy, Am I right to a Marilee?
1: normal reaction to an abnormal circumstance? absolutely,
0: so to me, Marilee, this uh, you know this explains so much, and this is such an avenue.
2: what do you have a question for Karen? Uh, not really I'm, I'm, I'm Karen. I, I understand what she's doing. I understand the whole system the way she's looking at it, and I don't necessarily have a question. I was just trying to listen in, and I actually got on this line so um, okay, but want you guys to keep going and doing what you're doing. I'm just going to listen some more. Um, okay. I just
0: find Karen, it I, easy. Go ahead. Okay. Um, uh, Marilee, thanks for listening in. I'm just going to put you on mute, which means you can stay on your phone, um, but we okay. won't be hearing you, okay? Okay. So much. Bye-bye. Right. Okay. And let's go to our other caller here. Uh, we have another caller from the 248 area code. Caller, are you there? I'm here. Okay. What's your first name and where are you from?
2: I'm Lillian. I'm from Oakland County, Michigan.
0: Okay. Thank you for joining us, Lillian. Do you have a question for uh, Dr. Hoffer?
2: Yeah. So the PTSD and the trauma effect that is displayed um, normally for these circumstances, as you just said, can be used against you. And as the counter effect is if you don't display that it's still used against you so what is the remedy
1: well it really can't be used against you legally but the value of having again the certified advocate is so critical because for it to be used against you they have to be giving the court misinformation they have to be bullying you and they have to be using it in a way that violates federal law so until you can get a hold of that, and what uh, in the case, and I keep going back to the one where the woman had been beaten for 18 years. In court, they're using all of this. Well, she this and she that, and she she when she dissociated, she just couldn't protect herself. And we said, Your Honor, that's a violation of USC uh, 42.12.203. These people are harassing, intimidating, threatening, attempting to get her help away from her, all of those things they use to make that work is against federal law. If we didn't have the federal law being as powerful as it is, it would all wind up just being argued forever in that court. Until you bring the federal dimension in, And you bring it in thoroughly, and you bring it in with confidence. And that's what our certified people are trained to do. Uh, And now that John Jay is certifying them, it's giving them extra credential that they really need um, in order to have the court say, hey, wait a minute, if John Jay College of Criminal Justice in New York, part of the CUNY system, is certifying this, there must be something to it. So that's why I'm thrilled to be there and doing it through them uh, because that certification speaks. But we just can't let them do this. They come in and call you crazy. I I gave the example. It's like you walk into court, they come over and hit you in the knee with a hammer, and then you get up and you kind of limp going out because your knee hurts. Then you come in again, and they hit you again in the knee with a hammer, and then you're limping worse. Now they say she can't raise kids. Look at her, she can't even walk. Sorry, oh, all of that is against the law, and so you have to invoke their rights under federal law that none of that can be done. And there, there are several laws that are very clear. They're all under USC 42, uh, and it's 12101 ongoing. But you have the right to an advocate. You have the right to someone have somebody there uh, that can say, absolutely not, Your Honor. And I catch things all the time in the courtroom where the other side is trying to get away with something. I had one lawyer go up and grab a paper out of the witness's hand and said, you don't mind if I have this, do you? And I immediately... Oh yeah, I immediately cued the law, the judge, if he's getting it, where's my client's copy? You know, uh, she's in there without a lawyer. I'm her only help, and I can't do law. I'm not going to uh, do unlicensed practice of law, but I can do protection within my limits under the federal law, and that's what I did. And he quickly caught it, and he said, you bring it up here. He said, I will make a copy for both sides. So it, there are these but little if you hadn't been there, that are always going
0: If you uh, hadn't it, it, been there, it w- she would was, have just been at a total disadvantage because the judge probably right. wouldn't have thought, wouldn't have noticed it and and paid attention to it.
1: That's Ooh. right. And and mm-hmm. if the other side can bluff you So uh, the first thing the other side said when I sat at the council's table is, well, this looks like UPL to me, Your Honor. I said, no, No, Your Honor. I function solely under the Americans with Disabilities Act, protected by USC 42, yada, yada. And uh, advocates are fully protected under this law against the same things, harassment, intimidation, any of that nonsense. So it really cuts down on the legal games, but we can stop them, and that's the beauty of it. I had a judge that started out not knowing much about it in a case, um, divorce custody case, and by the end, the final thing he said when he was awarding custody is, I cannot find custody based upon a disability. And the other side was trying to make the case that my client had a disability and therefore couldn't have custody. And he said, I can't find custody based on that. So he gave it very fairly. But it took educating him. And most of the judges, frankly, uh, listen to you when you give them good law.
0: Caller, did you get your question answered?
1: Yes, I have a follow-up question. So You, you said
2: certification of advocates. Is there, is there a resource that I can find particular in, in any area, let's say southeast Michigan, which is where I am?
1: Yes. In fact, I have a woman from Michigan that is going to be taking the class that's starting July 11th. Um, the classes from John Jay, I'll, I'll just say quickly, are online. They're rather self-paced. The next one goes from July 11th through October 2nd. And we will be training advocates all over the country. We have to do it online because the reach is so broad and the people are so busy. And there are no prerequisites because many times our best advocates are the people that have been in it themselves and know what it's like. So I will have her finishing by October 2nd. if you, my uh, website EqualAccessAdvocates.com, dot com gives all the information, and if you send any inquiry through there or to my email, which is legalabuse at gmail dot com, I'm happy to hook you up with the closest people I have. We don't have enough. I have about 120 people trained in the nation. And some of those work for law firms and agencies and aren't available to the public. So w- that's what um, Heather and I were talking about today. This course that I'm starting and is going to run at John Jay Will Certify Advocates, and we need more and more and more. I need, I don't want to use the word army because this is nothing like militant. Oh,
2: go ahead. But we
1: need, okay. <laughs> go ahead. It's a battle. So, I think that's an appropriate
0: we need a, term, Karen. guarantee
1: army of advocates out there because until those people personally are in contact with the court either by telephone or uh, in person and letting the court know no your honor I'm sorry I I have to uh, ask if you will consider this because uh, could we take a quick break you know this kind of thing could uh, could we meet in chambers briefly Uh, anything like that you you then can begin to turn the case, cases around, but you have to know what you're talking about, have to have the laws, have to have the confidence, and then you are there as that person so that person doesn't slip through a crack because they will.
0: Okay, thank you, caller. We do have another caller that I want to go to, so thank you. I hope that answers your question. Give you the website again, please, Karen.
1: Equal Access Advocates. Dot com. It's plural advocates, equalaccessadvocates.com. Thank, Thank you. you,
0: caller. All right, bye-bye. All right, I'm going to go on to our next call here, Karen. Uh, caller, are you there?
2: Uh, yes, I am.
0: Okay, could you please say your first name and where you're calling from?
2: Um, my name is Caroline, and I would prefer not to to say where I'm located right now.
0: Okay, that's fine. Okay, okay, what's your question for for Dr. Hoffer?
2: Well, it's a little bit of information. First, I'd like to say hi to Karen. I hi. Her hi, how are you doing? I completed Good. her coursework the first uh, session it was offered, I believe, privately a few years back. It's incredible work. There's an incredible need. And it's not just the domestic relations courts. I think that there's a bigger umbrella when we have um, yes. issues relating to the disabled in the courts. And uh, um, some of the court uh, with the ADA coordinators, they don't even exist. They're put under the umbrella of the court administrator, who simply says, "Okay, so you need a sign language interpreter, or you don't, or interpreter, or you don't speak English." And um, they completely dismiss anything involving anybody's inability in the courts as far as a the disability. They are arrogant. They are angry. Um, they do not like the inconvenience that this brings to them, and it's it's widespread. Like I said, um, I think I got to know Karen at a long time ago and brother in because of the homeowner association issues where, you know, the people are being targeted for foreclosure, women, elders, disabled, and vulnerable populations, and it's a huge issue in this country. Uh, they have no access to justice. They have no money for lawyers, yes. and they're fine being assessed and foreclosed upon, and it's it's widespread throughout America. I can go through the sites, but this is the same sure. issue. These people don't have the skills. They don't understand what's being done to them to begin with. They have a disability. They're getting no protections of the laws. And in some states, they laugh about it. They laugh at the people who are disabled. They think it's a joke. They think it's an easy, it's an easy buck in their pocket. And it's, it's true, it is. And we need yeah. so many more people. I'm encouraging anyone who is listening to please, please do this coursework and please stand, start standing up. There, there's countless people across this country who are. You only. know, yes. I'm
0: I'm making notes on this, Karen, because I want to do this. I want to do this. What is the? Are you still taking uh, applications for your July cl- class?
1: Yes. Yes. You just um, go uh, if you just go into my website. There's a place there. It just says sign up here. Boom. And you and sign what's up the there. cost,
0: Karen. Because that's always the, bo- the bottom line is always the, the, the decider. What is the cost? I know,
1: and John Jay is more expensive than my private classes were. But I'm telling you with that uh, credential you're going to be able yeah. to um charge better, um be respected better. It's nine ninety five. Okay. Heather? Yes. Heather, correct, right? Yeah.
2: uh Uh, There's so many things that people don't know about Dr. Huffer I want to bring forward as well. I think that people who want to hear her skill and expertise might want to go to onthecommons.us, that's Hugh Bartholomew's show, um, www.onthecommons.us, and to justiceserved.online, that's Andy Ostrowski's show. Karen has incredible interviews on both of those shows, and I think that people need to sit back and listen to what she has to say. And we do. Maybe our courts should be funding these people like they, they pay court trans, 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 transcriptionists and these types of things. Maybe we need to have our county start paying for access coordinators for the disabled in the courts and the elders with our increasing population and the courts who have no they, – they don't have any tolerance for innocent people. I mean, and, and, and it's really a disgrace in this country. I think you're right, and I
0: appreciate your perspective. Uh, We're running out of time so quickly, I just can't believe it. And I agree with you on your assessment of Karen. I think she does wonderful work. I've been privileged to have her on my show before. And um, I want to be her when I grow up.
2: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> thank you, thank
0: you so much for your input, caller. And I think you bring up some good points. Which is, we're talking You're about welcome. this from the standpoint of domestic violence, but we're also looking at this as an, uh, a resource for people at all in all areas uh, of the courts. Um, and and I just think it's a, such an exciting concept, and I really have not heard it before. So, Karen, I want to get back and and just so that everybody's clear, if I have or. Uh, let me see. Let me back up even more. If I'm going through a domestic violence situation, a divorce, I probably don't know or have the time to think about whether or not I have PTSD. No, how do, it sneaks how up on you. How do I recognize that I have a disability, and then what do I do? Do I have to have some sort of diagnosis? Now, I have PTSD, Karen. I don't tell a lot of people that, but I do. I've had a service dog for almost 10 years. um, And for my employer, I had to provide all sorts of documentation. Now, I don't have to provide documentation when I just go into a public space with my dog. But is there documentation required? for the court system, in order to have an advocate for the court system. And if you can't afford to have an advocate, is there something that you or a friend can do if you feel you have PTSD or a disability?
1: Well, you can have, and history has allowed in the courts, you can have what's called a next friend. You can have somebody come with you and help you index and, and and be there to hand you Kleenex and all that kind of thing. Uh, and sometimes that can work quite well. Sometimes I can coach that next friend a little bit to get through difficult times. Um, I recommend that they... That advocates charge about like a uh, foreign language interpreter does, unless they have special credentials. And uh, sometimes lawyers are advocates, and they will charge much more. And people with advanced degrees, but uh, a sliding scale usually can be found by one of the advocates. But the the problem we have. Seventy percent, I would say, of the horror stories that come over my email on a regular basis, I can't help. They're too too difficult to for me to be able to do. As one person, I have nobody in their area. Uh, Sometimes I can help them a little bit, and I even can encourage them to take the course, and sometimes they can do that, and that helps them, and then they can help others. But the courts are supposed to pay, and that is one of the things we're going to be addressing down the road, is that you should be able to bill the court for your time.
0: Okay, that was my question. Okay, so... Do I, I want to make sure everybody has all their ducks in a row, okay? First of all, you have to recognize that you may have this disability. Then what do you do? Do you have to have any kind of documentation? Or do you just say, I recognize that I have PTSD or I have this disability, and now I have to go out and find myself an advocate?
1: And then you, you find have, your advocate,
0: you go to court, and everybody says okay. You Is have
1: there one, dis- kind of- one diagnosis. You don't have to tell your whole health history. One diagnosis, okay. whatever it is, the lady that needed the zero-gravity chair had an injury in her hip, and, and so it was very simple. Um, okay. With invisible disabilities and more of the emotional injuries, I tend to tell the access coordinator confidentially a little more in order to sensitize them to work with us. And that's a judgment call, how much you give how you know how you work with that um, access coordinator, that's something that you have to decide, but no, you don't have to give a lot of information and what we're attempting to do right now, our courts work by what's called the medical model, which means something's wrong with you, and you come in and tell them what's wrong with you, and then they accommodate it. That is faulty. What we want to do, the Department of Justice, American Bar Association, um, all of us want a social model where you don't have to come in and say anything except you look at a checklist and they say, in order for you to function at best, do you need any of the following? Boom, 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 boom. And we take the most common things that people need and they check and that's it. And there should be a central intake center at every court where that is done. And the judges I'm presenting this to are liking this. A central intake center, you just walk in, you tell them what you're going to need, um, and, and then if you need something special, you may need to talk to somebody. But this is ridiculous because the access coordinators are not trained. They're making medical decisions. They usually, it's been something like uh, they get the notice you're going to have to have an access coordinator, so they say, Hazel, you're going to be the access coordinator. Okay. And nobody trains her. She doesn't know anything, you know. And so the advocate has to come in and do that. This is one of those cases where the burden is on us as citizens to come together, help each other as affordably as possible, and get past this if we help enough then they prevail in court a fair amount of times and life begins to straighten up for them so right. well and, and, and the, sometimes the whole concept can,
0: here what what really thrills me about this concept is suddenly you're leveling the playing field
1: yes that's what it's about it's equal access and yeah. you have to have physical participatory and testimonial access. So they'll say, well, that paraplegic with PTSD, we got him in the courtroom. Well, if you got his body in there, you still didn't get him equal access without accommodations.
0: Yeah. Yeah. For um how does one one who is going through this whole trauma and i don't care whether you're talking domestic violence divorce or whether you're talking the the veteran you know uh, uh, or the homeowners association victim whatever it is you're in trauma how do you recognize that you can avail yourself of this type of help how does one well, how does it
1: the, most people are so afraid like you yeah. said, they're terrorized, so they don't know what to do. They go in the courtroom and make terrible decisions because they'll say, well, a psyche bell, yes, I'm not afraid of that. Well, we'll need a parent coordinator. Okay, fine. We're going yeah. to uh, have a minor's counsel. Okay. All of a sudden you're, you're getting billed for five figures a month for all these involuntary contracts, and you were oh, yeah. afraid to say no. So uh, – it's it's at the point of terror, call us, you know, and we have to help you sort through it and see what you really need. We do a functional assessment. Looks like you don't need any more than this, you know. Looks like you're going to need some real help here. We had one lawyer get so mad at our advocate that afterward he physically was coming um, at the client and the advocate got between the two of them and stopped him. But, you know, it, it, this is ridiculous, the things that you can yeah. run into in the courtroom. But most of the time, I can tell you the judge is tickled to death to have us. Once we're there a little bit, all of a sudden they realize the client isn't symptomatic, court is going more smoothly, things that are used to be problems are not problems anymore, Uh, In Las Vegas, we had the judge ask the um, advocate, would you please take the service of documents? Because she says she doesn't get them. They say they served them. Would you intervene here and take care of the documents that are being served? Absolutely, not a problem. Call me when you need something served. I'll either come by and pick it up for her or I'll meet you there or something and they got it worked out. So the judges end up liking us a lot by the time it's done, and they I have them it, now.
0: The the mo- most of the judges, I mean, because I can. Conf- some t- I'm going to make a generalization here, and I'm going to qualify it because I understand that most judges are just wonderful people, blah blah blah. But there are a certain element of judges that I have encountered that might feel challenged by something like that. They might have you encountered that at all?
1: Yes. And uh, and nobody's going to tell me what to do in my court. Wrong. Yeah. It's the public's court. And Chief Justice LaBarga in Florida has made it very clear, speaking to judges, you better take better care of your customers. Uh, okay. But I have now, in the courts that I have been in quite a bit, uh, the judge at the end of the hearing will often say, Dr. Huffer, is there anything you want to add? Is there anything we should be paying attention to, that we may have neglected here, and really include me in, like, because it's covering their rear end on the record. Yeah. You well, know, by the, the sudden, end. because all of a sudden
0: you're talking, as you mentioned before, all of a sudden it's not just the local courtroom. All of a sudden there's a higher power that has some influence in that courtroom, and that is the Americans for Disabilities Act, the federal legislation.
1: That's Right. And the one thing that I uh, tell my clients to do very often is at the end say, thank you, Your Honor, for letting me make my record. And that lets his honor know or her honor know that we are paying attention to the record we're building. So it could go to federal court. It could go all the way up in a civil rights action. And we're being very conscientious and we're going to be sure that client is protected. So... But frankly, I find most of the courts warming up quite a bit once they understand you're not there to get them in trouble.
0: Yes, yeah. Karen, I can't believe it. I can't believe that we've got two minutes left on the show. Give your website <laughs> again, and I am absolutely serious. I want to take this training. Um, I I'd really love to do.
1: have you take it. We use real cases, and uh, they use a method there that's new that I'm not familiar with, Blackboard. But... I'm gonna get oh, used I'm to it. Oh, i with and, that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, we'll all work with it, and and it I, it should work fine. We loaded wonderful stuff into the course. It's equalaccessadvocates. dot com. Equal access all one word, plural. dot com. And then my email is legalabuse at gmail. dot com.
0: Okay. It costs, and as you said, it costs about $1,000 for the registration. Yes. What about materials? Are those included, or will there be additional costs for that?
1: I, I do ask them to have the book, to buy the book, and the book is $60. It's, okay, so we're uh, right, right, right around $1,000. Yeah. Yeah, that's your and manual. So if
0: you are with organizations, you are with an advocacy organization, it might be worthwhile to have someone in your organization take this course. And have the organization pay for it. Um, As as a matter of fact, that sounds very good to me. And as a matter of fact, if you're with a court, it might be, behoove you to have someone on your staff take this class as well so that they are knowledgeable about what needs to be done for the ADA. Karen, I can't believe our time is going. I really appreciate, I, I want you to come on after the class done in October. I want you to come back on and tell us about what, what you covered and how it went, and uh, you know what, where you go from here. Uh, I let's would like to do that, to,
1: course, because I uh, have an idea about solving the problem of people running out of money for lawyers. And if this works well, that's my next step. So with John Jay, hopefully. So yeah, let's do that. That'll be fun.
0: Great. We've got 30 seconds left. I finish the show with a quote, and today's quote is from Benjamin Franklin, good old Benjamin Franklin. Justice will not be served until those who are unaffected are as outraged as those who are. Wow. So let's all get a little outraged at how our courts are offer, uh, operating times, and Thank this you. is an opportunity for us to do something about it. Thank you so much you for joining it. us, Three Women, Three Ways. Karen, thank you so much for being with thank us. You. I appreciate your time, and uh, gosh, your information is amazing. Thank you. Look forward us to the future.
1: Week. Bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye.